A house without a foundation cannot stand the test of time. We're living in a neighborhood that's being built, and all around us, houses are going up, and it's interesting how it works. First, they do a lot of work with dirt. They move it around, and they shake it down, and they pack it down. Our whole house shakes, and then comes in the ever-important guy that does the concrete, and it's pretty much the same guy, does all the pours, and and he lays the foundation. Now, if someone were to show up on a, on a piece of land and just start slapping boards down, right, building the house with no foundation, no, no care to what is it, it's standing on, that house, it may stand for a little bit, but it's doomed to fall. I was on a plane a few years ago talking with a guy and sharing the gospel with him, and, and it was just clear we were, we were miles apart. He told me, that, that uh, contentment was basically resigning in life and that greed was good. And he had all these dreams and wishes. He wanted to own a private jet. He wanted his own island. And I'm like, man, you're really, uh, really a dreamer, aren't you? I mean, that's, that's pretty big dreams. And, and he said, well, what do you dream? And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> you have no idea what you just asked. I began to paint a vision of faithful gospel ministry and what is it really matters in this life, this short little life and how it issues into eternity and all the people that need Jesus and all those that, that are running toward hell break neck without any awareness that their doom is just around the corner. And in that interaction back and forth, I, I found myself going back to Scripture over and over and over. And at one point in the conversation, he stopped me and he's like, dude, you're kind of obsessed with that book, aren't you? And it struck me as funny. Like, yeah, actually I am. That is the foundation of my life. This book, God's Word, is everything to me. My goals in life, the way I understand life, the way I see history, the way I see the future, it's all sourced out of here. My purpose, when I get out of bed in the morning, it comes back to what I've learned and what I cling to in this book. He couldn't conceive of it, but by the end of the plane ride, he, he definitely knew where I stood. And maybe someday we'll meet that guy in glory. Who knows? I was just struck by even just watching the news and all of these things unfolding, really behind a lot of this, even the way that people are just treading upon the Constitution of late. We are living in a culture increasingly just ravaged by relativism, right? Just, I mean, it's been taught in institutions for so long. There's a whole generation that's come up, and they, they believe that they can create their own truth. We can rewrite history. We can do whatever we want. It's all relative. Behind it would be these kinds of things, and I've heard these spoken blatantly and, and uh, quite popularly, you can never really know anything with certainty. Oh, doesn't it sound humble? Doesn't that, you hear your ears? You know you're in a culture that's relativistic if you hear that and you're like, wow, that's pretty humble. It sounds so sincere and just, man, that's, that's what, a, what a nice thing to say. That, that is toxic. That's a belief that'll, that'll leave you with nothing to stand on. Or this one, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Now, it's one thing to say that and joke around and be like, well, you know, how certain are you of that? Well, I'm absolutely sure. Well, that's a kind of a problem then, right? It, it's, it's a joke, but the reality is, is that this is truly a lifestyle. This is the way people live. Hmm. It reminds me really of the time of the judges, right? There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Not in the eyes of God. That wasn't a concern. Lord, what would you have us to do? It was, do whatever I want. Friends, that is what relativism leads to. It erodes the foundations of any objective, knowable standard and you just become God. Satan knows exactly what he's doing, and he's tearing our society apart. Yeah, you just got to speak your truth. You hear this on Facebook? 
Speak your truth, girl. Have you caught this? Have you seen this either? It's increasingly, I, I just see this more and more. Oh, so-and-so, he's out there speaking, speaking his truth. That bugs me. I don't like that. Don't ever say that of me. Oh, there goes Pastor Jeremy speaking his truth. It's not my truth that matters. There's a vast difference between speaking your truth and speaking the truth. Relativism is the first. Objective, knowable, absolutism is the category that the Bible establishes for the second. We stand out, Christians, when we stand on the Word of God as a foundation. You are different in this culture, increasingly so. Jesus came and he said words like this, I am a way. No, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes. Well, I mean, really, that's kind of, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? No, he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus, that's just not very humble. That's not very inclusive. That's not really PC. That's our king. To carry his name means that you will violate the social norms that are happening all around you. You, you by your very nature, the, 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 the name that you carry, the goal that you have when you get out of bed, you are in violation of this cultural standard. So what do we do? How, how are we to respond in, an, in a day of shifting sand and just everybody just floating around and doing this and then we come up with the most insane ideas of how to fix things that are broken but, but no one is saying, well, what, hold on. What about this book? Think of the rich history in our nation that this book has. I shouldn't say no one is saying. The faithful church is shining bright in the midst of this. That's our opportunity to stand out. The difference between revelation and speculation is vast. I want you to picture a room filled with scientists, and let's say they brought all of their impressive degrees, and they, they hung all of those all around on the walls, and they collectively say this, there is no God, Darwin was right, evolution is the only way. That's not hard to make up, is it? That, that's pretty much most institutions of higher learning in our day, right? Now, pit that group against God, okay? Who was there? He was there. Like, he's the one who said, let there be, and there was. Um, that's the difference between revelation and speculation. These guys, they're looking at things from thousands and thousands of years past. And they're saying, well, this is what we think. And God is like, well, that's nice, but um, I actually do exist. And no, this isn't random or chance. I said these words and I created out of nothing all it is. I did it in six days. And on the seventh day, I just took it in to bask in all that I had made. Why Christians have any inkling to trust scientists way over here over the very revelation of God himself blows my mind. But that's the pressure, Christian. That's the pressure. We need revelation, not just speculation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that the Bible is anti-science, right? If it's true science, it's God's science. And it points to him, and it's good. But if you begin with science and you say there is no God, you're in trouble. Because your science is going to stink. It's going to draw conclusions that are absolutely false. There's a lot of science out there that is a joke. They work so hard to try to prove their original decision that there is no God. We have revelation. Friends, we have revelation of God. In our statement of faith at Good Shepherd, we believe and teach this. This is what we say. It's the very first statement in our statement of faith because it serves as the concrete. 
the foundation of every other statement. Here's what we say. We believe and teach that the Bible, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, as originally given, is the divinely inspired, supernaturally given, sufficient revelation of God. Having God for its author, the glory of God in the gracious redemption of sinners for its end, Jesus Christ for its focus, and truth, truth without any mixture of error for its content. The Bible gives, think of what we have here, the Bible gives revelation of God, his being, nature, character, will, and purposes, and revelation of man, his nature, need, duty, and destiny. It's all in one book. We go on to say, preserved by God and handed down throughout generations, the Bible serves as the only supremely authoritative and absolute standard of truth by which all human conduct and thought should be tried. Although there may be several applications of a Bible text, the meaning of that text as intended by its author has but one true and unchangeable interpretation. This meaning is found under the illumination of the Holy Spirit through the literal, grammatical, contextual, historical, and canonical interpretation of the text in its literary form. Okay, there's a lot of words in there, right? That's because this book is so spectacular. I hope you catch how purposeful we were as we wrote that statement. There's so much to say about the foundation of your entire life, Christian. The Word of God. The Bible that you have open before you is consisting of 66 books. 39 Old, 27 New, New Testament, Old Testament. The Old Testament is not like outdated. It's not, it's not old because it's, it's not current. It means it's, it's like first, the first testament and the second testament, the new. It was written over the course of time by 40 human authors, and yet it has but one divine author. Written over roughly 1,500 years in three different language, languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, from three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It's organized by genre. That's why the order in your Bible is what it is. It's, it's historical narrative, law, wisdom, psalm, prophetic, gospel, uh, epistles or letters, and apocalyptic. Name another book like that. Is there any contender that could hold a candle to what you hold open in front of you? The question I want to answer tonight then is what does the Bible say about the Bible? What is it that the Bible calls forth in its, uh, its con confirmation of all that it is? The Bible has a lot to say about the Bible. It's fascinating. So let's do a list. Number one, God's holy word is inspired by God. You might jot that down on your bulletin. Inspired by God. What does that mean? Well, listen to 2 Timothy. All Scripture. Now, if you're in that passage, as I hope you are with the Bible open, get a pen and circle the word all. That is so significant in our day. All Scripture, every word of every verse is breathed out, or theos penustos, uh, the breath of God. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. What's the goal? What's the end? Well, that the man or the, the woman of God may be teleos, complete, equipped for every good work. That's our goal as believers. Full maturity. We want to grow in Christ's likeness. And the way we grow is in the Word. We become as we behold. And we behold with our eyes open, pages turning day after day, week after week. Another passage is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter writes this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Think of this. 
Scripture itself is not just some guy sitting down with a pen and, and, and saying, eh, let's just jot a few words down. No. This is how it happened. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that through their personality and through their situation, God brings to pass the writing of holy word. His word comes through the pen and personality of these various 40 different authors. No other book has that. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration. These are fancy theology words that mean this, that the very words, every word, every word, not just the meaning or the sentences or paragraphs, but the actual words. This is what Kathleen does. She works and wrangles to interpret faithfully each word into Bengali, uh, or Marma, actually. It's Marma. Get, keep that right. Right, Dan? Okay. The very words of Scripture in every part, the plenary work, it is a full scope. All Scripture is inspired. It is God-breathed revelation. We believe this. We believe this. So when you open your Bible, you don't look and say, well, you know what? there's some history that has nothing to do with me. That's not true. That word on that page has everything to do with you, as much as it did the person that it was originally intended for. Because God is so big that he can do that. He can send the word to the people in that time and at the same time to all people in all times that are to come. Paul knew this and he held this so precious as he preached faithfully this is how he describes his ministry i did not shrink now i love those words i did not shrink why would you shrink because of fear because of what the reaction might be he said i didn't shrink from declaring what the whole counsel of god cover-to-cover revelation. What's amazing is that as he's saying this and speaking this, God is writing Scripture in his very words as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's a life verse for a preacher right there. The whole counsel of God. That's our goal here. My goal is before the Lord takes me home, I want to preach every single verse, every word of every verse. If possible, just cover the whole thing. And so that's what we do. We, just, we don't say, you know what, that book seems a little bit tough, let's skip it. Or like Thomas Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible, let's cut and paste a little bit. The stuff that we like, let's just put it over here. The stuff we don't, let's get rid of it. That's not how we roll. Because the Word of God calls us to something far more. Every word on every page counts. It matters. So in the fall here, we're going to do Leviticus Every word on every verse in the book of Leviticus because there is value for us in those verses, friends. Buckle up. It's going to be fun. So number one, God's word is inspired. Number two, it is true and trustworthy. True and trustworthy. We believe here in the inerrancy of Scripture. It's another big word. You should know this word. It's inerrant. It's without error. Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything which is contrary to fact. That sets apart this book from all others. It is true. You can count on it to be true. The word of truth. It's referred to many times as the word of truth. In the Old Testament, you hear this, Thus saith the Lord. Maybe that's King James, right? Thus saith the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who created heaven and earth. He's speaking, and it's written. It's true. There are many reasons for this. Number one, in Titus chapter one, we know that God cannot lie. He, when he speaks, he always speaks truth. He never speaks anything that is short of truth. And so his word is true. There are many other verses that point to this. Psalm 119, 160. Actually, all of Psalm 119. Just live in that for a week. That'll just fan the flame of your love for the Word. 
But in verse 160, 160, it says this, the sum of your word is truth, all of it, the sum of it, cover to cover, all of it. And we can see that in a, in a fuller way than the psalmist even could at that point because we have it all. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Then Jesus prays this to the Father. He says, sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Your word is not true, not just true. Your word is truth, absolute truth, truth with a capital T. Every word of God proves true, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed or settled in the heavens. It's not changing. God doesn't say something and then all of a sudden change his mind or learn something and be like, whoops, what I said doesn't count, I guess. He never learns. He knows all things and he always has. And so every time he speaks, he speaks with full knowledge and full infinite wisdom. So it's true, always, perfectly true. No other book like that. The preservation of God's word when we were in Israel and when we go in February again, we're going to go to Qumran. You see where they found these scrolls after all these years. Crazy that it was just a recent discovery, really. Just, uh, you know, a few uh, decades back, they find these scrolls and the Isaiah scroll as they unravel it and then they, they hold it up. The preservation of God's word after all of those years, copied down. Word for word, precision. Praise God for his, not just inspiring, but preserving his word. What a gift we have. So when you open your Bible and you read things like this, bank on it, okay? Here's statements that may be hard to be believed in our culture. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He did that. That's his work. He didn't just observe it. He wasn't just like, oh, look, a big bang. I'll claim it as mine. No, he did it. He did it. And then it goes on to say how he did it and how long it took. Believe it. It's real simple. It's true. And then in Joshua, we read that the, the sun stood still and the scientists are like, oh, Lord, what archaic people. They're so dumb. They don't even understand the universe. The sun stood still. Well, it did. It did. Not just the sun. The moon stopped as well. When you read that, don't feel like you've got to try to save the Bible from the error of, you know, those poor people who didn't understand how the heavens work. No, I'm pretty sure the Lord knows how it worked. He stopped things, and they stood still. And what you find is now that science begins to kind of actually consider that may have happened, they can account for a bit of a gap. It's interesting. The more you dig, the more you realize, hmm, that's true. It's true. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That's true. It happened. They will kill him, Jesus says, and on the thir third day, he will rise. That's true. It happened. You see what, see what I'm Your Bible is true, and it's trustworthy. And here's one to bank on. Oh, King Jesus, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him. Soon, Lord, come. That's a true statement. So when you read your Bible, don't read as a skeptic, standoffish, uncertain. I'm not sure. I have to investigate whether I'm going to believe that or not. No, it's true. It's true. We embrace it. If you don't understand it, that's not the standard of truth. Your comprehension doesn't determine the truthfulness of Scripture. It might just require you to study a little harder, take a little time. It might take years, but God will lead you there. God's holy word is also authoritative. You saw this in our statement show up. The great mantra of Martin Luther in the Reformation call was very, the, the ground upon which all of that Reformation stood was sola scriptura. His call was to come back, church, Christians, come back to the, the authority of Scripture. It is authoritative. It is 
authoritative for the faith and practice of the Christian. It is the authority in your life, believer. We don't need a papacy. We don't need that. There's no competition of authority in church tradition. Has no, no comparison. And I would even add this. Creeds, confessions, councils, to the degree they stand on the Word of God, helpful, but not authoritative like the Word of God is. Don't ever take a creed over your Bible. The creed has authority only because of its faithfulness to this book. And if it ever drifts away from that, stick with the book. Stick with the book. The authority of Scripture, Wayne Grudem says, means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. That settles it, doesn't it? That, that basically puts us in our right position as we open our Bibles and come to the We don't come as judges to this book. We come carefully, gratefully, humbly, and excited to discover the words of the God who is, who beats our heart in the, in the moments as we let our eyes fall on these pages. This is the one to whom I will look, God says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and what? Trembles at my word. Christian, do you tremble at the word of God? Does it cause you to tremble? Tremble with reverence and awe, respect, and if need be, fear, right? The fear of the Lord sometimes is true fear. He warns and threatens with a purpose. That purpose is often love. Tremble at His Word. God is good. He loves us. He warns. Don't disregard my Word. The final word, you could say, always belongs to God. And I would just add, be a Berean in this church. When you come, Bible open, right? Don't take my word for it. I say it all the time. Don't say, Pastor Jeremy said, I want us collectively to say, thus saith the Lord, right? That is where we go together. And if I ever wander off over here and start saying silly things like Zim Zim or whatever, just some yish yash or girl wash your face or whatever, like, just get me back to the word, okay? The Bereans are such an example for us in a day, friends, where the church needs more of this. We need more open Bibles, not just on Sunday mornings, but all week long. God's holy word is necessary. It's necessary. Now, what about the island in the remotest part of the Amazon? Is that possible? Is there an island out there? Let's say there is, okay? There's an island in the Amazon. It's remote. And there's a people group that live there. And they have absolutely no Christian witness. There's no church. There's no, no one that's ever reached them. There's no Bible. There's no radio. There's nothing. If they do not have someone come and bring the revelation of God that we find in His Word, they will go to hell. Let me be clear. There's urgency in mission work. Okay? Now, we do believe that God is sovereign, and He is sovereignly ordained to send people to carry His Word, to go to these places at the ordained time, and yet they better go. We need to go. We need to be there and speak and bring the Word of God. It is necessary. You cannot find salvation through general revelation. You cannot watch the sun come up and see the moss on the trees and say, Jesus, I love you. I repent of my sins. That can't happen. God has been so good to give us the glory of, of His display in his attributes his eternal power and his divine nature it's clear in what he has made but what is not clear in what he has made is the gospel of salvation 
And what we find in Romans 1 is that if you live in this world and you open your eyes, you have enough revelation to damn your soul to hell forever, but you do not have enough revelation to save your soul through the power of Jesus and the gospel. This book is like no other. It is the special revelation of God. It's what brings us from our death and our, our, our spiritual um, future in hell to life and glory. It's the difference maker in the equation. Do you realize if God would not have revealed in the way that he did, if he wouldn't have spoken, if he wouldn't have sent his son, we would all go to hell. The most glorious sunrise will never save you. It is a special revelation of God. Kevin DeYoung, in an excellent book, I highly recommend it, it's out there. The one we need to know most cannot be discovered on our own. We cannot truly know God, His will, or the way of salvation apart from the Bible. That is why teaching and preaching and disciples that carry the Word into the darkness are so critically important. Hmm. Paul says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. That's his mom and his grandma, Lois and Eunice. They taught him from childhood. They acquainted him with, listen, the sacred writings. Listen to Paul's reverence for the Word of God which, he says, are able, Timothy, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The power of God's Word. That's what it can do. God will bring salvation and life and light in His Son, Jesus, through the proclamation of His Word. That's why when churches gather, they don't need inspirational self-help mumbo-jumbo. They need the Word of God. Spoken, preached, proclaimed with authority. So God's Word is necessary. God's Word is also sufficient. Oh, this is a glorious truth. His Word is sufficient. You ever heard this? I'm, I'm just not feeling... Oh, I, didn't, I didn't write that right. I just don't feel that the Bible is, is relevant to me. I just need to hear from God. You know what? I just, I, this Bible study stuff, forget it. I just, I want to hear from God. The Bible's old and stale. I need something fresh and new, right? Maybe like Jesus Calling. Okay, read the intro. It's concerning. A dissatisfaction with her Bible led Sarah Young to write that book. And what she wrote was her words, not God's words. It's slippery. It's dangerous. If you ever look at this book and you say, ah, it's just old, man. I just, it can't be relevant. How can a book that old have any relevancy to my life in this modern day? Number one, confess pride. Because behind that often lies this assumption that we're just getting better, that we're somehow progressing. That's a lie. We have not progressed. I would suggest we have digressed greatly. We have lost so much from where we were. I just don't feel the Bible is relevant. I had a buddy in, uh, in California. He told me, I like to sing. I like to worship. I like, to, I like the emotion of music. I like fog and lights. That's when I feel God. He's like, I don't have any of that when I open my Bible. And you know what I felt? I felt afraid for his soul. Because he was lost in experience and emotionalism. Well, what are we singing? What are words that we're singing? Do they go to that book or not? If they don't, we're just floating in fog and lights. It is this book that makes worship meaningful, unique, special, supernatural and real. We don't just worship 
nothing, we worship God, a God who is, a God who has told us who he is, a God who is glorious, and he's spoken. How could we ever disconnect worship from preaching? So when we come, the sermon is the high point of all that we do in our church. That's just not because I'm a preacher. That's because what we do in singing prepares our hearts to receive the word and then crescendos out the reception of that word in song. It is the authoritative word of God that goes out to sufficiently meet us on that day. I would say this to those who struggle to believe that the Bible is relevant. Truth is always relevant. It's timeless. The truth of God is timeless. It is never irrelevant. If it's true, it's always true, and it's everywhere true. And if it's true and it's God's, then it's glorious. We have, friends, a completed canon. You could say it this way. All we need for salvation and godly living can be found in God's sufficient word. We don't need any new revelation from heaven. We don't, we don't gather as a church hoping that, boy, someone could just walk in the door and, and really help us because this just doesn't cut it, right? We've got this book. We've been in it for years. If we could just get like a prophet to walk in with a fresh word from the Lord, here's some new revelation, guys. We don't need that. You, you, you feel that. We have all that we need right here in this book. Hmm. Sometimes in devotions, this can be subtle. Lord, I open my Bible and I just don't, I don't feel a certain way. I don't see what I hope. I, I just need something. And so I'm just going to close my Bible and I'm just going to wait for something to happen. Maybe a liver quiver. Or maybe a bird with something in his mouth. I don't know, a sign in the sky. I need something. And the Holy Spirit is literally like, open my word. I'm the Holy Spirit. I brought these words. They, they're here for you today. Hmm. God says to his people in Deuteronomy 8.3, he humbled you and let you hunger uh, and, and fe he fed you with manna which you did not know and nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the morning, when your Bible's open, your soul is feasting. If your Bible is not open, your soul is starving. You might not notice it right away. But I have people who come in my office regularly. It is one of the most reoccurring experiences I have in pastoral counseling. I'm dealing with this. I'm just super bummed. I'm down. I'm having marriage problems with this, that, and the other. And one of the first questions I ask is, how's your walk with God? How's your time in the Word? Talk to me about prayer. What does it look like? Your relationship, what is that? How's it going with that? And almost always, it's not there. It's not there. Now just say this categorically. You will not grow as a Christian with a closed Bible. You won't grow. You might want to grow, but if your Bible is closed and your ears are closed to the Word of God, you're not hearing from God. You're not going to grow. Your soul will shrivel, shrivel, shrivel. You will be so parched. You will long for water in a dry and weary land. Just open that Bible and watch it. Watch what he does. It's like fresh water to your soul. Life-giving streams. There is no situation in which we are placed, no demand that arises for which Scripture is uh, as the deposit of the manifold wisdom of God is not adequate and sufficient. John Murray. Do you believe that, Christian? I pray you do. I pray that that's the esteem you have for this holy book. There's nothing you will face in this life that God cannot equip you to face, right? All Scripture is profitable so that you will be equipped for godly living ready 
to meet whatever he brings. The Apostle John says this at the very end of your Bible. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away uh, his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Anathema. It's kind of a big deal when someone comes and says, I got some new stuff. Maybe right. I had, I had friends at one point who were suggesting that maybe we should add C.S. Lewis to the canon of Scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. C.S. Lewis is great. But he's not God. He did not write the very words of God. He wrote helpful things, many of them wonderful. That's not the Bible. The canon is closed. The Bible is complete. It lacks nothing, and it is here for you. You have access to it. Think of this. Think of the places all around the world, even right now, tonight, where people would do anything to get just a, a few pages of that book that may have been somewhat unused this week. We have such a treasure in this Bible. I think it's wrong to feel like you have to guilt yourself into studying the Word. What I, what I long to do is woo your heart to see how precious this is. So you, it's what you can't not do. That's what, that's what we want as believers. Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Pray that God would stir an affection for His Word and that your nose would be in it more. He'll answer that prayer. He loves to answer that prayer. Number six, God's holy word is living and active. I was talking with a guy one time, and he's like, uh, he's like, oh, the Bible? Yeah, I, I read it once. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, no, I read it through. It was, it was interesting. He, he was thinking of this like just any other book. Like, oh, it's a fascinating read. I read it once. Now, for me, I, like, I, I just, I completely didn't get that. This is a book that you don't just read once, just to be clear. Th th this is a book that you read your whole life, and you have barely scratched the surface. Okay, my, my parents, my entire life, have been in the Word of God every day, digging, mining the precious jewels of God's Word, and they are more hungry than ever. They're in their 70s now. My mom just told me she finished a third consecutive tress, uh, track all the way through the Bible, taking notes and writing down phrases. She's got a, a stack of, of notes this deep. She wants to publish them for us as kids so that we have her notes that, of, of glories that she found in the Bible. Now she's going through again. May we be like that thousands of times maybe before we die. The Word of God is living and active. It's alive. It lives. It's active. It's, it's not stale and dead. It's not just black on white. It lives. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which means that you could read a verse, live a week, read the same verse, and it hits you radically differently. Because that verse will be used by God to reach your heart where it's at on that day in a different way than it hit you the week before. Have you had that experience? It, it's amazing how often the Word of God just, just explodes in glory in familiar passages. For as rain and the snow came, come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You have got confidence when you open your Bible. To read in the morning. It will not return void. God is accomplishing far more than you realize as you read and study and delight 
in the words of Scripture. Number seven, the list could go on, by the way. I just picked seven because it's a good kind of God number. Seven. Number seven, God's holy word is pointing us to Jesus. Your whole Bible, cover to cover, is in one way or another directing your attention to Jesus Christ. It's all about him, ultimately. The entire story is focused on Jesus. Hebrews begins this way, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, which speaks to how God brings his Bible into existence, various different ways, at different times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, that's the times in which we live, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. Wow. So it was the Son of God who said the words, let there be, let there be. Jesus himself understood this as he walked. We're going to see this in Luke 24. I almost didn't want to use this verse, but I couldn't help it. We're going to be here in a few weeks. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, the law and the prophets, Jesus interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's telling these guys on the road, he's like, guys, this whole book, that's all about me. Everything in the law and the prophets has been pointing to me. I'm Jesus. It's me. And so, Christians, we are to be Christ-centered and Bible-saturated. May you, in your conversations on the plane, have the same effect on the guy next to you. Dude, you're kind of obsessed with that book. Absolutely right. I am. I am. Christ-centered, Bible-saturated Christians who live for the glory of God. There's no greater longing for the Christian parent. There's no greater way to bless your children. There's no greater way to shine bright in the darkness all around than to be the people who have a foundation to stand on in a world of shifting sand and say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. I will not be moved. He is true. He is the way. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. There is objective truth. It is knowable. His name is Jesus and the world needs it. And here we are. We've been raised up by God's grace to be sent out and declare the truth of the gospel. So our response to this, this this attributes of the Bible sermon, here's a list. Five things. I'll just put them all up on the screen for you. They're not in your notes, but you can write them down if you're fast. Number one, hunger for and treasure God's Word. Hunger for and treasure God's Word. If you don't have a study Bible, you should get a study Bible. I really, I really think every single Christian should, and I'm not getting paid to say this, every single Christian should own a study Bible. We have the ESV. So like an ESV study Bible would, would do you well here. It's helpful because as you're reading, you're going to bump up into things that you don't understand. You read it, and you're like, I don't know what that means. And you have a pointer then at the bottom of the page that can direct you to a cross-reference or an interpretation that may be helpful. This is one of my greatest possessions, most treasured possessions. I don't bow down to the book itself. That would be wrong. That would be idolatry. But treasure your Bible because it's the Word of God. Number two, faithfully read and study your Bible. We live in a day where everything has to come fast, right away. We just got to get it, get it fast, and then get on with something else. We, we have all this media on our phones and this, that, and the other. There is something to be said about slow and purposeful reading. I, I have never, I confess, I have never read the Bible in one year. I don't think I ever will. I can't do it. I don't read that fast. 
I can't comprehend that much in that amount of time. I'm a slow guy. I, I go slow, verse by verse. Wow, that's interesting. I get stuck. Sometimes I only make it through like three or four verses in the morning. That's okay. Faithful. Be faithful to read and study God's Word. Number three, worship and delight in God through His Word. Now, here's a mistake that can be made. You can know your Bible. You can dig and understand and and have all the knowledge of the Bible in your head and your heart can be far from God. So, make sure as you read that you worship. Lord, I delight in this truth about you today. I absolutely love that you're a God like this. Thank you for what you showed me today of who I am and my need and your grace, right? It's a conversation. He speaks as you read and you respond in worship. Talk to him. That's why reading and prayer go hand in hand. You listen as you read to his word and you respond in prayer and praise upward. Number four, humbly submit to and obey God in his word. When he commands, joyfully obey. And let's be clear, he does command. There are indicatives, things that that God has done for us in Christ. They're completed, they're done. The work is finished. And out of those, there are imperatives. There are calls to obedience. Turn from sin. Obey the Lord. These are glorious But if we fail to do this over here, these commands, obedience, submission, then we waste our reading as we dig and study. And number five, believe and trust the God of His Word. He is true. He is faithful. There's almost always a promise to claim and hold on to. Lord, I thank you for this right here. I worship you. I, I, I cling to you in this. This is who you are. This is what you have done. This is what you will do. I believe it. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truly precious. It's like drippings from the honeycomb. It's sweet to our taste. It's better than gold, than, than fine gold. We seek it more than silver or precious jewels. Lord, it's, it's what our soul craves. It is the truth that we long for in a world that is just shaking and moving. We delight in you, the God of the Word. Thank you that you revealed to us the things that you have. Thank you that they are sufficient for us. Thank you that the things you have spoken are true and trustworthy. We love you, oh God, and we thank you for your Word. May we be a people this week who Delight in your word all the more. Who dig in your word for your glory and our joy all the more. And Lord, may we be a people who hold out objective, knowable, absolute truth and the good news of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.